Welcome to AU City, a neurodivergent support group with storytelling habit, where you can check out anytime you want, but you can never truly leave. <laughs> I'm your co-host, V Park, pronoun she, they, and I just want to apologize for the small, unplanned break between episodes. On Halloween, I took a shortcut through a circle of toadstools and spent the next several weeks, months, and or years trying to find my way back. Anyway, everything I eat tastes like Turkish delight now. <laughs> And I'm your other co-host, Ray, pronouns he, they, and I am currently and always fueled by caffeine and hyperfixations. Thank you so much for joining us today for our magnum opus thick episode. I'm very excited. How about you, V? I'm, I'm, the excited is not a strong enough word. I feel like this is the showy episode to end all showy episodes. Is it true. is the, the piece de resistance uh, <laughs> the the glorious basically what we're doing is as as you may have noted this is our final showy episode of season one and we've decided we went through our whole list of all the cool ass ideas we had for fictional fictitious episodes for au nancy drew season four which you know will surely be premiering in real life and we would not want to steal their thunder hence our ending no. it um but we basically went through the list if you haven't followed us on the last couple of episodes of all of our episode ideas and we just kind of picked the one that seemed like the most fun And that's the one we're going to do today. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, let's just jump right into it as we introduce you to Nancy Drew and love spell number nine. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we're also departing from we're just we're just going straight for like disclaimers are just covering everything now. So buckle Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. All right. Scene. As the sun prepared to set over Horseshoe Bay, Lawrence Hudson sat in his caravan, moodily dragging his fingers over the keys of the ancient calliope that took up the entire back wall. Thick brass pipes, now browning with age and corrosion, blotted in spots as if stained by the dried blood of all the souls whose lives it had indirectly claimed. The calliope was just an instrument, but Law was its musician. Not in the literal sense. He hadn't played in decades. His own fingers, once lithe and dexterous, now gnarled by hard work and marred by scars, webbed over with magical symbols that kept track of his sorry, sordid history. The deals he'd made, the trusts he'd betrayed, the lives he'd ruined, beginning with his own. Scowling deeply, Law stood and crossed the tiny cramped space to his desk, where he opened a drawer and lifted out the spelled willow bark box that held Calliope's cursed cylinders. His ruined fingers lingered for a moment over the one marked Pride. Well before Horseshoe Bay had existed on any map, Pride had been its founder's greatest weakness. But, much like a snake that evolved in immunity to its own venom, this town had long ago lost its ability to feel any shame for its unearned prosperity, its ill-purchased position as a point of industry, or the stolen land on which it was built. Perhaps wrath then, oh, what he wouldn't give to watch this rotten place tear itself apart. Brother pitted against brother, fathers abandoning sons, mothers using their daughters as bloody shields or baubles to purchase power. But then all of this had been done in Horseshoe Bay. So often it felt like a refrain, repeating and rhyming, ever more twisted with each rendition. As Law ruminated, growing more agitated by the second over his options, the door shrieked open. That hinge needs oiling, he muttered. But he didn't bother looking up as a shadowy presence slipped inside and the door slammed itself shut behind. He already knew who it was and could easily guess what they wanted. The same thing as him. Always, above all, a good show. 
Sun's getting low, the wayward called Menagerie said. What's it going to be, boss? The soft lilt of Menagerie's voice recalled memories of a faraway time and place, warmer climates, spiced winds muffled by a blanket of humidity, the wild cacophony of a hundred different tropical species, a jungle that turned chaos into the most thrilling kind of music. After all, Law considered, is anything more maddening than our own animal urges? Decision made, he twisted his scowl into a smirk, reaching for the cracked cylinder at the end of the row. Tonight, I'm in the mood for love. Are you coming out anytime soon? Nancy sighed as she met her own neon green lined eyes in the mirror above the sink. She adjusted her green headband, then tugged at the hem of her purple sweater dress and sighed again. The skirt was much shorter than what she'd usually wear, and the material was itchy. Seriously, came an annoyed British voice from the other side of the door. You're officially bogarting the bathroom at this point. Turning her next sigh into a growl, Nancy spun to open the door and faced down her witch of a roommate, literally, who didn't seem to understand boundaries except the magical kind. Bess, the go-go boots are too much. She gestured to the shiny pleather encasing her lower legs. Can't I just wear my loafers? Absolutely not. Bess pushed past her, better to primp in the mirror as she spoke. You look perfect. It was hard to argue with Bess's logic in this case. After all, she did already have the hair, so a wig wasn't necessary. The character in question even rocked a neck scarf. So then, why did dressing like this make Nancy so uneasy? She directed her discomfort down, clicking her heels together. I'm just saying, I feel like I remember her wearing loafers. At least some of the time. Depends on the version, Bess waved a hand dismissively. But honestly, it doesn't matter. Keep the boots. They're sexy. Who said I wanted to look sexy? Isn't that like the whole point of grown-up Halloween? Nancy frowned, her suspicion growing. Who said we were grown up? At this, Bess whirled back to face her, causing her pleated brown miniskirt to flare around her hips. Okay, cranky Drew, that's enough curmudgeoning for today. Come on, get into the spirit. It's Samhain. Well, a very commercialized, colonized version of it anyway. She paused to adjust her thick, lensless glasses, which set her fringed bob wig slightly askew. Nancy could never pull off Bess's outfit. That much orange would clash horrifically with her hair. One would think you'd be up for having a bit of unrestrained bacchanal, given everything that's happened lately, and especially now that Temperance's curse is Bess. Nancy's suspicion quickly morphed into panic. I told you, we can't talk about it. Why? Because you still don't believe Willow's curse blockers work? She gestured to the silver clatter ring Nancy now wore, which they'd been warned would only work if she never took it off. Or is something else bothering you? Nancy looked away from Bess's accusing stare, absently twisting the ring around her finger. She didn't want to admit the truth even to herself, that she was more afraid of testing the solution. So instead, she changed the subject to something more manageable. Isn't Sam hanging technically tomorrow? Samhain. The distraction worked like a charm, instantly setting off the new librarian Bess. According to some neo-pagans who tend to celebrate Samhain, sometimes pronounced Samhain, on the 1st of November, since it historically marks the end of harvest at the beginning of winter. But I haven't had time to really research the details, so I'd hate to hazard a guess and unintentionally misinterpret another culture's religious rites. Okay, well, then for tonight, maybe let's just pretend that this is another non-magical American holiday promoted by costume and card companies is to sell more products to the masses? Fine by me, Best said with a shrug. Now I just need a few more freckles drawn on to complete my look. Then we'll meet up with the others and head off to the youth center to collect our spooky little charges. Nancy backed out of the bathroom but stopped in the doorway processing. Oh, I assumed we'd all just meet up there. Or maybe at the claw? She checked her watch. It's a quarter to five. Didn't Nick say we had to pick up the kids then and get them back by 6.30? Oh, tush, Bess said. When does any kind of party, even a town event, actually begin on time? As long as the kids get their candy, they'll be fine. 
line. Before Nancy could reply, her front doorbell rang and Beth shooed her out of the doorway. That must be them now. Can you get the door? Thanks so much. Be down soon. With that, she slammed the bathroom door in Nancy's face and cut off her ability to argue. Grumbling, Nancy descended the stairs, cursing her block-heeled stripper boots as she went. If she made it through the entire night or even the first few hours of chaperoning Horseshoe Bay's annual trick-or-treat down Main Street event without rolling an ankle, it'd be a miracle. When she opened the door, her sigh of relief that it was Addie standing there and not someone else immediately turned into a stifled snort of surprise and amusement. Oh, wow. You look so phallic. I mean, that's one word to describe what's happening here. I know, Addie gestured broadly to herself with white mittened hands. It's probably a little hypocritical of me to be wearing this since I'm a vegetarian, but it was Bess's idea and you know how convincing she can be. Nancy pursed her lips, pressing down hard with her teeth to contain her mirth. She was so focused on not laughing aloud that she didn't realize Addie wasn't actually alone. When she stepped aside to accommodate Addie's foam-padded girth, her heart skipped a beat. Addie waddled past Nancy, heading for the stairs, and Ace sidled in smoothly after her, barely holding his own grin in check. I didn't have the heart to tell her, he whispered. Oh, hey, Nancy tried her best to sound casual and look unbothered, but inwardly, all she could think was, damn, damn you, Bess, damn this holiday, curse everything. He was supposed to be shaggy. Nancy, with her eidetic memory, specifically and perfectly recalled Bess saying that they, the ones Nick had convinced to volunteer for his trick-or-treating chaperone thing for kids whose parents had to work late, were all going to dress up as the Mystery Inc. gang together. She'd clearly said that Nancy would be Daphne because she already had the hair and that she'd go as Velma, that Nick would be Fred and Ace with his golden brown hair swept back off his forehead and softly gelled into place, showing off his annoyingly perfect bone structure, wearing a thick white cable knit sweater, suspiciously similar to the thirst trap sweater from Knives Out, which Bess knew was one of Nancy's favorite new whodunit movies, and a denim shirt underneath that, open at the collar, all tied together with a fucking neck scarf and to add insult to injury the scarf was crooked nancy held her breath or maybe she'd temporarily forgotten how to breathe she couldn't feel her face overheating but she couldn't look away all she wanted at that moment was to reach out and adjust the scarf maybe brushing her fingertips along his jaw a little bit in the process but she didn't dare what if that was enough what if that was all it took what if as she stood there dithering and staring slowly suffocating out of fear and frustration ace quietly took her in from head to toe his eyes flickered with interest, but then he frowned. I thought Daphne wore loafers. Nancy gasped out a chuckle, grateful for proof her lungs were working. That's what I said. Grinning wider, Ace reached for her, and all the air in her lungs escaped again. He didn't touch her, though, just gently tugged at one end of the scarf she was wearing until she felt it slide. Sorry, it was crooked. As his hand dropped, a silvery glint caught Nancy's eye. Another silver clatter ring, almost identical to hers, but bigger. Unlike hers, his heart was pointing in, which, according to Irish tradition, meant that he was promised to someone. One person in particular. Without even meaning to, Nancy stepped closer. Ace. Oh my God. Bess's voice was louder and much more hysterical than usual. Nancy jumped back and they both swiveled to look up at her where she was standing at the top of the stairs. Addie, you were supposed to be hot dog water. The character Marcy Fleach from Scooby-Doo, not a literal hot dog. Behind her, Ace laughed and Nancy suffocated just a little bit more. Now it's your turn. Amazing. Amazing. I <laughs> loved it. Absolutely beautiful. Take it away, please, and make it more awkward. Oh, I will do my best. I will do my best. 
They should have noticed something was wrong as soon as they stepped out of the youth center, but the Drew crew had their hands full with children that technically didn't belong to them. As far as the group, Nancy, Bess, Ace, Nick, Addie, and the gaggle of children leading the charge, descended the hill into downtown Horseshoe Bay. The entire avenue was lit by orange and green bubble lights strung up along light posts and zigzagging across the street. The participating businesses were covered in faux spider webs, bloody handprints, or something equally novel. One had a robotic mummy handing out candy. Others had many haunted hallways leading into the store. The cafe even had a zombie and vampire barista prepared to take orders. Dozens of people milled around the streets, crossing roads had been closed off, all of them in different levels of Halloween attire. Laughter and tiny shrieks filled the air, and at the bottom of the hill, following the streets toward the port, was the carnival. The further into town you went, the more obvious its presence. The soft echo of its uncanny dance macabre soundtrack pushed into town by way of the wind off the water. Groups of people seemed to mingle and loiter near their cars, walls, almost every adult in sight with their hands in another. Best just thought it was cute, happy families of Horseshoe Bay, and Ace wasn't paying any attention to anything but their tiny child militia and the redhead moving in front of them, leading the way in her purple go-go boots. I had no idea how many parents worked on Halloween, Bess harumphed as she paused to tug on her orange knee-high sock. It bunched beneath the strap of her Mary Jane shoe. A moment later, her platanker's arm appeared to steady her, and she gripped him without mercy, though shot him a quick smile of thanks. You make the best, Fred. All the kids are obsessed, she said with a grin, reaching up to give him a quick peck on the cheek in thanks for his unquestioning assistance. It's the hair, he replied with a nod and an amused snort, before his face fell to a stony realization. Don't mention that to Tamura. If he says anything, I pull off an ascot with the grace of a man very secure in his sexuality. Bess laughed and squeezed his arm before letting go, waving him after her. No one had any clue at the amount of work she'd had to do, not only to convince Ace to be Fred instead of his brother in stonerhood Shaggy, but also keeping their fearless detective out of the loop. Absurd. Had it been worth it, however? Absolutely. Especially the sweater. Bess had outdone herself on the sweater. While Bess had fixed her shoe, the rest of the group had surged forward to the next shop entrance, the kids already well ahead of their adult counterparts. Do you hear that? Ace asked, looking over his shoulder. A second later, Bess did. It was the oddest, softest melody floating in off the bay. It had replaced the carnival's leering dance, or maybe was simply playing over it. It sounded a tad metallic, at the moment sharp, like a needle pressing against an eardrum. Ace absentmindedly began twisting the ring on his finger, the pad of his thumb running over the clotted pointed heart repeatedly until it hurt. Ow, he said at the same moment, best spun on her heel, <laughs> her eyes shining. Isn't it just beautiful out tonight? She asked, biting her lip before spinning back to face the rest of the group. Nancy. The second Ace's eyes found her shepherding the children into the mermaid's chest, the local fishing and sporting gear spot, she disappeared. His heart pounded while Bess found herself swaying, practically dancing, in long steps along the giant toward the giant hot dog, taking up the line's rear before she too disappeared. Ace sped up the pace, nearly jogging past Bess to get to the door in hopes he might catch Nancy's eye. It really is just stunning, Bess said, her laughter tinkling like bells as Ace caught up to them, all single filing through the door. His heart was still pounding in his chest, aching to get even the quickest glimpse of Nancy's sunset red hair, her shoulder, her fucking go-go boots. Ace's mind stopped racing in circles over Nancy the moment the door fell shut behind him, the kids lining up to get their candy out of the cold. An indie folk rendition of the Monster Mash blasted through speakers that hung just inside the door, and some of the children laughed and joined in, while the others ran straight for the line to the cashier, where the candy was being handed out in giant handfuls. The night was actually fucking freezing and really cloudy and threatening rain. There was nothing beautiful about it unless you were a masochist. 
Although now that I thought about it, he couldn't even exactly remember what Bess had said outside. He couldn't remember much except for the painful metallic noise that had made his ear hurt for a moment. Maybe he hadn't heard her right. When his eyes eventually fell on Nancy, his heart quickened and his thumb found the clotter ring again, pressing once more to the point. It had become a habit since the hour he put it on. Every time he saw or thought about Nancy, he touched it, unable to stop himself from wondering if she could feel his presence from the ring she wore too. Ow he said, eyebrows furring. The pat of his thumb throbbed. He must have gotten a splinter somewhere. YC kids stood in line for candy, while Bess had moved to run her fingers over the winter coats, head cocking to the side as she window-shopped and milled around the sales floor. Meanwhile, Nancy was at the head of the line, mother henning their tiny charges once again into another single file toward the entrance when they had gotten their candy handful. A moment later, a gaggle of them began to surround Ace, all giggling. Are you and Nancy dating? One child asked, and his cheeks turned as red as they possibly could. The child had a wolf mask, wearing a nightgown and a bonnet. Little Red Riding Hood's wolfy antagonist, grandmother already eaten. What eyes, he thought, as the warmth crept up to his cheeks. He was grateful for the orange light bulb above him, making it harder to see his blush. We're not actually Fred and Daphne, Ace said, hoping that would be the end of it. So... Asked another kid, immediately thwarting Ace's hopes and dreams. He wanted to say yes so fucking badly. Except he couldn't fucking talk about it. It almost hurt as bad as the literal heartburn he dealt with prior to the Claudette's charm. Wait, Ace said a moment later. Where's Bess? His first instinct after looking at Nancy was to make eye contact with Bess and have a mini eye-reading conversation. The issue was, Bess was nowhere to be found. I'm so mad. We'll talk about this later. (laughs) All right. Now we're at the clock. The clock. Uh, um, George, you're going to want to check this out. Raybolt, I swear to God, if you're blowing up my kitchen again, irritably swishing her mid-length tool skirts, George stormed out of the manager's office and into the claw's kitchen, only to stop short in confusion as her brain struggled to catch up with what her eyes beheld. Tadoi Felix, their new line cook, dressed as a particularly half-assed Frankenstein's monster, did the stoner version of Spirit Fingers and stepped aside to reveal... Her sisters. Look what we made, Jesse yelled, with the other middle sister stood aside, arms folded in protest. I had nothing to do with this, Charlie corrected, rolling her eyes. At 13, she was going through one of those too-cool-to-enjoy-anything phases, hence her lack of costume or a smile. Fine. Look what Felix and I made. Undeterred, Jessie danced around in her little makeshift scuba diver suit, which Bess had helped craft from a very stretchy black turtleneck and leggings, while Nick had assisted, or so George had heard, by building an extremely realistic set of oxygen tanks out of leftover fuel cylinders from the garage. Even then, few people would correctly guess that Jessie was supposed to be Eugenie Clark, a famous ichthyologist, aka fish scientist, who most people knew as the shark lady. George's suggestion that Jessie make the bottom half of her costume, a shark head trying to eat her body, was rejected for being inaccurate and also insensitive. Whatever. It wasn't like her pride was hurt or anything. She was mad for (sighs) other reasons. For example, the 10-gallon glass aquarium currently dominating the surface of the kitchen's central prep station, which looked to be filled to the brim with goopy blue. Is that jello? Yeah, Felix confirmed way too cheerfully. 
Might take a bit to set, but Jess here had this wicked idea to hit it with a soda gun when we're pouring it in. So we'll have all these little bubbles and George didn't wait to hear more about the bubbles. This is what you've been in here doing for the past three hours. It suddenly felt like she was the deep sea diver on the verge of exploding from the pressure. I told you to close up everything before six o'clock. So I hopefully wouldn't be stuck here cleaning all night after spending our busiest hours handing out candy. Thanks to Nick volunteering us for this stupid town tradition, even though we aren't even a business on Main Street. Hey, George, seriously, Jesse, I don't want to hear it. And Felix, I don't expect much from you at this point, but at the very least, you'd think you could say no to enabling something this George, Charlie, who never yelled lately because yelling was uncool, yelled, turn around. George turned horror dawning as she realized she'd been too busy yelling to hear the front door open. She looked through the service window and down to find half a dozen unfamiliar kids in costumes gaping up at her with wide eyes and open mouths. She did her best to flip the switch into customer service mode, but her smile felt sinister from the inside. Hey guys, happy Halloween. Wow, you are so stealthy. I'll get the candy bucket. Charlie shook her head as she passed, just in case George didn't know she was being judged. I'll help, Jessie said, sounding more disappointed than mad. But then as she passed, by the way, Felix already deep cleaned everything in here, in case you hadn't noticed. Left alone in the kitchen with Felix, George fizzled with a mixture of guilt and annoyance. He didn't say anything for so long that she finally let loose a sigh, a growl, to ease the pressure. (sighs) Yes, I decided to go as a raging bitch for Halloween this year, she muttered half to herself. Felix laughed, more like a low chuckle, not judgy sounding at all. Nah, you're just stressed. He seriously had no idea how right he was. By the way, awesome costume. You're the babe from Beetlejuice, right? Did he just call Winona the babe? Always thought she was super hot. George suddenly found herself fidgeting with no comeback in reach. Yeah, well, it's just something I had lying around the house. She wears it every other year, Jesse piped up through the window, so helpfully. Alternating with Wednesday Adams, Charlie added way less helpfully. She's so predictable. Yeah, thanks for your input, George said in her chirpiest voice. Hey, why don't you two run along and see if Nick needs any more help at the youth center? We've got it covered here. A quick, not nervous glance to her line cook confirmed that he was as cool as ever with whatever. Anyway, we're closing in a few minutes. Jesse shrugged, sending her O2 cylinders clanking. Okay, but don't forget to put the fish tank in the fridge. Otherwise, it'll go all gloopy and the fish will sink to the bottom. Oh my God, George cringed, turning back to the tank. Please tell me those aren't real fish. Felix laughed again, totally unbothered by her perpetual harshing of the vibe. Nah, I made them all out of fruit peels so we didn't waste anything. Wait, seriously? George took a step closer, leaning down to examine the fish. Sure enough, there was a little clownfish made out of what looked like orange peels and coconut shavings, sea cucumbers made out of dragon fruit, and a little yellow eel crafted from banana skins. That's actually really impressive, Felix. Where did you learn how to do that? Uh, I used to want to be a pro chef like Gordon Ramsay. He smirked, then shrugged. But I got kicked out of culinary school when they found out I was living in my car. So now I just watch a lot of YouTube. I'm like, figure it out, you know? Figure it out. How many times had George heard those words thrown back over Victoria's shoulder as she left them all in the lurch for the millionth time? She'd basically made a career out of figuring it out before she was even old enough to have a career. Not that that's discounted as a career. But now wasn't the time to think about that. They really kicked you out for being homeless? I mean, I had a home. I just happened to have four wheels. That is such bullshit. George found herself fighting off her inner rage beast again for a whole different reason. Stuff like that is exactly why I want to go to law school and figure out how to fix these fucked up systems. It should be illegal to deny people education because of where they live, especially when their circumstances are thanks to the failure of the system to help. Felix is fully grinning now. You're starting to sound like Mr. Drew. Take that back. Joris realized she was smiling now, too. Carson's lectures are insufferable. You could never be insufferable. Don't worry. He considered it for a second then. Plus, even if you were, people would suffer you. 
because you're hot. George struggled to process the words, given that his tone didn't sound at all flirty. And yet, luckily, she was saved by the bell as more trick-or-treaters filled in demanding candy. With her sisters gone, it was up to George to pass them out, or the little hellions would probably loot the bucket and leave nothing for the rest. And she was secretly really glad for the distraction. Leaving the kitchen, George grabbed the candy bucket off of the bar and pasted on another fake smile. It wilted a little when she realized the newcomers were three little boys, all clearly around Ted's age, dressed as Thanos, the Joker, and the three-foot-tall Michael Myers, unironically. Your parents are going to regret enabling you, she muttered under her breath, dropping a single piece of candy into each of the trick-or-treaters' bags. She honestly couldn't help herself. After those boys left, a little girl came in, trailed by her mom, who George recognized as the high school librarian that used to let her hide out in there during lunch. The librarian's kid was dressed up as a tiny Ruth Bader Ginsburg. George treated the little kid's mom to a big, genuine smile and dropped several fistfuls of candy into baby Ruth's bucket. Hey, when you finish law school, come and find me. I'll be a Supreme Court justice by then, and you could totally clerk for me. A few clusters of kids later, George checked the clock above the bar and was surprised to see how quick the time had flown by. This little trick-or-treat thing had actually been kind of fun. Or not the worst, at least. She looked over to where Felix was stacking glasses behind the bar, trying to sound casual while saying something totally out of character. You know, Felix, we could probably close out early tonight if we wanted. When he didn't reply, she quickly added, I mean, we're far enough away from Main Street that most people probably don't even realize we're part of this thing. So, or I could put up a sign that says, sorry, ran out of candy or something. You could take off or hang out and take your time. Whatever. I'm good with hanging out. The way he said it, and she might have been reading too much into it, but it sounded like maybe he'd misinterpreted what she meant by hang out or maybe not cool. I'm just going to go and put up the chairs on the deck. Joris skipped out before she could think about it anymore, fleeing onto the porch where she could be alone with her weirdness. Seriously, what was wrong with her? This wasn't flirting, was it? That would be bad. Standing on the porch, she felt a shiver go through her and realized her costume probably wasn't warm enough for her to be out here without a jacket, but she also wasn't ready to go back in. So instead, she walked around to the back deck and looked out over the bay. The sun was setting and it was really pretty. How often did she allow herself just to notice a sunset anymore? Never. Tracking the sunset's golden streaks across the horizon, George's eyes fell across the industrial docks on the far opposite side, which were currently home to the Wayward Traveling Show, the creepy carnival that Bess and her mystical colleagues were certain was full of evil entities. George wasn't so sure for her part. They still hadn't been able to get far enough inside to figure out who was involved in the so-called evil doing or how Law was making the music that kept townspeople flocking into the place every night like lemmings with unlimited disposable income. Now that Bess, with the help of her new time-traveling and possibly alternate universe existing witch friend willow had placed a protection spell on everyone in horseshoe bay under the age of 18 at least george didn't have the stress about this latest mystical threat quite as much especially since she'd made her sister's promise on pain of dismemberment to steer clear over the past week or so the carnival workers who apparently called themselves waywards like they were in some kind of cult had pretty much kept to themselves anyway, or at least no new incidents or mysterious disappearances had been reported. So, as Bess had insisted, it was time they all took a night off and enjoyed the rare downtime between death-defying events. George's next sigh caught her by surprise, maybe because she was so not used to having downtime. What was she supposed to do when she wasn't doing anything? Not obsess over Nick and how totally okay he seemed with the idea of them never being together again, right? Study for the LSAT? Two years too early? None of these felt like useful options. Wow, gorgeous. George spun to find Felix standing just a few feet away. She hadn't even heard him approach. Excuse me? He gestured over her shoulder. The sunset. It's nice. Oh, right. He hadn't been talking about her. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, we should probably try to move that aquarium now before it gets any heavier. 
you're the boss, unbothered as ever. Felix went to the front door and held it open for her. George didn't know why that little gesture felt so important to her all of a sudden. It never had before. Chivalry, that was the word. It always felt so forced, like a bullshit formality. But now, hey, do you hear that? Somewhere across the bay, music was playing so faintly that she couldn't make out the words or even tell if there were words. There was barely even a melody. Felix was looking at her like he'd never seen her before. She repeated the question. He shook his head, looking confused. Then suddenly, uncharacteristically, tense. What music? He asked, looking at her shoes. I don't, George strained to hear, but then it was gone in a gust of wind. It almost sounded like that old, you know what, never mind. Pushing past Felix into the claw, George stoically avoided eye contact and ignored the sudden tingly feeling racing across her skin. Bess had decided it was too stuffy and dark in the gear store, with the children entirely too loud, and had decided to take a quick step outside. Hadn't it been gorgeous out? Sure, storm was rolling in, but wasn't there something striking about the calm before that had definitely been what had made it so beautiful? And the children were so loud, and the indie covers of Halloween hits were so twangy. The quick step outside had somehow turned into a full-on makeout session with a woman who walked up to her and told Bess how beautiful she was when the woman had gorgeous golden hair like a halo and the most plump kissable lips she may have been the most beautiful person Bess had ever seen honestly she had no idea how or when the kissing started but she was having a great time suddenly Ace was behind her exclaiming what the fu- the fudge before immediately slamming the door to the children behind him and grabbing Bess by the shoulders, effectively dragging her away from her locked lips. Bess seemed to sober for a moment as she looked up to her platanker and back to the woman who was already reaching out for her. A second later, the hand on her shoulder disappeared. Where's Nancy? Ace asked suddenly, moving to stand in between Bess and her lady lover. I don't know, but you're ruining my moment, Bess said, stomping her Mary Jane down on Ace's loafer. Ow, Bess, I just want to... Out of my way, I was in the middle of... Oh my God! The blonde woman had already found a new partner, this time of the opposite sex, their hands already wandering each other's bodies. Anger flared in her chest like she'd never felt it before, her ears beginning to ring. Then it went dark as a jacket with a furry hood covered her face and she was pulled back into the store. She let out a dreadful, angry shriek that ended the same moment the door fell shut behind her. The hood was lifted off her her face and standing in front of her were Nancy and Addie, staring at her like she'd been possessed by a ghost. It was a look the Drew crew knew well, unfortunately. Oh no, Bess said. Why is everyone making out? And where's Ace? There was more fear in Nancy's voice than Bess was used to, but her eyes went wide the moment she realized why. I I think he was outside with me. It's already fuzzy, Bess said, shaking her head. It was hard to get past anything more than the memory of the intense jealousy and anger that had welled up in her. A worry wrinkle in the middle of Nancy's forehead throbbed and Bess let out a tiny whine. I don't know what's going on. I can barely... My brain is fuzzy, like I have short-term memory loss. I don't know. Guys, 
Nick said, tone urgent. I found Ace. Bess's eyes went wide. I know what to do. Slam on the window. Get his attention. Bess grabbed Nancy by the arm and pulled her up to the front behind them. Nick was right to be urgent. Ace was in a panic, hands grasping his blonde hair as he walked around, nearly aimless, trying to get a look at anyone who looked remotely like Nancy. Really, anyone that looked like a woman or had long hair. Nick followed Bess's order, palms smacking against the glass as he started yelling, Ace, repeatedly. Keeping the children consoled behind the register, Addie moved to turn the music up, mouthing a thank you to the worker whose evening had just been hijacked. Bess joined in the moment she got to the door, then immediately shoved Nancy in front of her, who started pounding on the window just as quickly. Almost as soon as the flash of red hair and purple outfit appeared behind the glass, Ace spun to find it and started running, relief washing over his face. Oh, that's... Bess said, a warm, appreciative frown appearing. She could already feel happy tears pricking her eyes. Do not, Nancy commanded, holding a finger up in front of Bess's mouth before stepping away to swing the door open, moments before Ace nearly ran into it. Oh my God, Nancy. The door fell shut mid-sentence as Ace crossed the threshold and he paused with an open mouth. What just happened? Absolutely no fudging clue, Nancy said with a sigh, rolling her eyes as she censored herself for the children. We all know they curse, right? We were all cursing in fourth grade. Set an example, Drew, Nick hissed. Does anyone have an idea why walking outside turns you into, into a massive horn dog? Bess asked, blushing slightly as she remembered Addie's ask accidental costume. Someone needs to go out back and see if it's just Main Street or not, Nick said. And Nancy nodded, instantly running toward the back as best she could in her heels. Her eyes flicked over Ace, who was still looking a bit dazed and confused before she nodded to Bess. I'm going to grab my car and get to Icarus Hall. If this is magic, there's got to be something up there that'll help, she said, shrugging. Let me at least make sure you can make it outside, Nick asked, and Nancy nodded. You guys get the kids somewhere safe, and I'll call you as soon as I have something, okay? The duo disappeared into the back room, following the employee's directions. Addie, Bess, and Ace stayed silent. <laughs> the only noise, the now-too-loud indie covers, and the chattering of kids who couldn't decide if this was a really good prank or a proper Halloween scare, especially because they couldn't actually tell what was happening outside, and for good reason. Nick reappeared a second later. She's good. Now we need a game plan. Someone needs to warn George, Nick said, eyebrows furring. Addie, you and I need to get the kids back to the youth center and wait for their parents. Can you two get to George? He asked, looking at Bess and Ace. Bess, who was getting clear ahead by the second, nodded for the both of them. We're on it. Operation save George from weird makeout phenomena and try not to succumb ourselves. That's entirely too long of an operation name, babe, Ace said before shaking his head. Did I make out with anybody? One redhead is already too much woman for you, Ace, was all best managed as she squeezed his bicep. That doesn't answer the question, he replied, concern painting his voice. I wasn't outside the whole time, she replied with a shrug. And skipping ahead a little bit, the fever was getting worse, making her lightheaded and shivery. Maybe that wasn't the right word for it, fever, but that's what it felt most like, Nancy decided. There was no other experience that came close, nothing she dared to think about. This was a sickness, a temporary tingling fever that was far too pleasurable not to be nefarious. It would pass. This is fine, she assured herself as she took the stairs down, carefully, one wobbly stripper boot at a time. This isn't what it feels like. 
It's going to be fine. Somewhere beneath the full body panic, a perturbed voice of reason bubbled. This literally could not be happening again. Not to her. For one thing, Nancy hadn't so much as sniffed a wedding dress since that last time. Hadn't inhaled any strange glowing gases. Hadn't lit any kind of candle lately just to be safe. Hadn't done a lot of things, actually. In so long. Too long. Yet she burned. Her skin was practically bubbling. Yes, this was far too familiar a feeling. Luckily, she knew how to handle it. This wasn't her first rodeo. Wait, no, don't think of rodeos. Tight denim, saddles, ropes, and reins. Jesus Christ, this wasn't like her. Had to be a spell. And if it was a spell, Bess would fix it, just like last time. All she had to do was wait it out. And most importantly, stay the hell away from everyone. Unfortunately, as soon as she'd made the decision to isolate, to get to Icarus Hall as fast as she could, to its relative warded safety and seclusion, that was when Ace came running. More like sliding, actually, as he took the last corner at a sprint and came skidding sideways into the youth center's empty lobby like in that iconic scene from Risky Business. Nancy froze at the bottom of the stairs, gripping the handrail for dear life as their eyes locked. Ace. Face glistening with sweat, chest heaving beneath too many layers of clothing, which was probably why he looked so incredibly hot. Nancy couldn't help noticing. He'd pushed up his sleeves and oh God, now she was really staring at his arms, his hands. She was wrong. This was exactly like that other time, only worse. Nancy, are you okay? Even as he strode purposely toward her, she couldn't seem to move. She was suddenly terrified to let go of the railing. It's cold metal, her only remaining link to sanity. Nancy, can you hear me? His voice rougher than usual, yet so familiar and getting closer. She closed her eyes like maybe that would somehow help her situation. It did not. Because now he was touching her, hands closing gently on her shoulders. Nancy, look at me. I can't, she hissed through clenched teeth. But then she opened her eyes because he'd asked. His hair had come loose from its swoop, locks falling haphazardly across his eyes. Also, he was wearing headphones, she finally noticed, probably to block the music. Oh, the music. She'd noticed it too late, but felt it long before she'd actually heard it. It started with butterflies in her stomach. No, more like fireflies, glowing winged embers, which quickly ignited and engulfed her body in flames, stealing her breath as they demanded to consume. Nancy, I need you to listen and trust me, okay? Please, we need to get out of here. It was the please that did it. A distant memory, buried but not forgotten. At those words, her bones melted and she let go of the railing. She took his hand instead, clutching it tight and allowing him to lead her wherever he wanted to go. It didn't matter. She was finally free. The fear was gone. All that was left was the wanting. Wrapping the fingers of her free hand around Ace's bicep, she leaned in, taking a deep breath through her nose. I've missed that smell. Ace didn't reply, but he did start pulling her more insistently toward the elevator. But at the last second, he seemed to rethink his trajectory, diverting to the stairs. Nancy didn't care where they went as long as it was somewhere they could be alone so she could finally tell him. As soon as the door slammed shut behind them, the music stopped. Logic rushed back into her head. So suddenly it felt like a slap to the face. Nancy physically recoiled, overreacting out of confusion that was quickly bleeding into fear. What was that, Ace? What's happening? Another one of Law's spells, Bess thinks. His reply was too loud and she winced. He frowned when he realized, then slid off his headphones, pausing for a beat to brace himself before he exhaled in relief. Then he continued, it's all over town. What kind of spell is it? She asked to distract herself, although she already had a strong theory. Another song? But this time, it's one only certain people can hear, right? We don't know, but um, it seems to be lowering people's inhibitions. He shook his head. Not everyone's. The kids who were still out didn't seem to notice anything wrong, but most adults. How do we stop it? Nancy cut to the chase because she suddenly didn't want to hear details. I don't know that yet either. Bess had an idea, but we split up so I could before I came to find you. 
Why me? Nancy wanted to ask, but didn't. Of course, it wasn't personal. She was the resident detective, the one who'd inherited a haunted house full of mystical artifacts. After Bess, she was the most logical go-to person for issues like this. That was all. So, do you happen to have an extra set of noise-canceling headphones by any chance? Of course, Ace said, almost like he was offended that she'd had to ask. In my apartment, he started moving up the stairs. This way, he paused mid-step. And we should probably hurry. Was it her imagination or was he blushing? No, it was probably just from all that running. She followed him up the stairs, flight after flight, trying not to notice how his long legs ate up the steps two or three at a time. It was the after effects of the spell, probably, that made her fail. Time to focus on something less dangerous. Hey, what do you mean we should hurry? Sorry, what did you say? Ace glanced back over his shoulder without stopping. Before she could repeat the question, the door at the bottom of the stairwell slammed open and a deep voice boomed upwards, shouting her name. Ace put his headphones back on right away before the music could follow the voice, but Nancy wasn't fast enough. Her hands froze halfway to covering her ears and her legs stopped climbing as the voice continued. Nancy, are you up there? I came back for you. We'll be together again soon. The tone held an undercurrent of threat, a promise that made her shiver. Gil? Nancy's voice came out wavery. Her head was once again swimming in confusion. Confusion. There were too many conflicting feelings, too many broken memories, most of them complicated by wraith-like shadows and not in an interesting way. She shuddered, trying to work through the mess. Then she looked back up at Ace and a wave of warmth drove away the shivering. Ace was watching her face, but as soon as their eyes met, he grabbed her arm and pulled her toward him, urging her legs to move on pace with his own. Climb faster and don't look back. I can't, I can't even I stress you. to you how uncomfortable I am and how more uncomfortable I'm going to get later. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so yeah. excited. I have not read or heard any of the nice scenes that V wrote. So I, I just, I'm going in blind. Yeah, I have hives. I hope you're happy. <laughs> I'm very happy. And I do want to do a quick disclaimer here, just in case. Uh, I did a George and Felix scene that was based off of what was already written, but I did forget a decent chunk of importance so there's a slight difference in george's demeanor in regards to the main street trick-or-treat situation that's happening just so everybody knows (laughs) slightly different but that's okay because this is fun fix shit and we're fucking around and finding out and if we were doing this maybe she changed her mind maybe she's maybe she was feeling good about it but now she's not you know she can change her mind that can happen characters can do things characters can make decisions for themselves it's fine so that's all just so we know now welcome back to the claw why is everyone passing the claw george said leaning into the booth closest to the road trying to get a better view of the crowd surging down it it looked like a mass of horseshoe bay adults but george couldn't see any of the details from this far away plus her breath kept fogging up the glass No glue, boss, Felix said as he crossed his elbows against the service hatch, leaning to get a better look at her from behind the register. Should we go check? I'm going to. The claw is always the end of the Main Street trick-or-treat, and it's a huge boost for the winter months. If we don't get our usual business, then we're going to be screwed come the new year. This place is already a money pit. This was supposed to help get us out, she grumbled, as she stomped off to her office to grab her coat and boots. No way was she going outside in October without, especially dressed as Lydia. George pulled her office door shut and spun around just in time to run straight into Felix. Together, they stumbled back into the weight-bearing pillar in front of the bar, George's hands plastered on his chest, his pecs, to be specific. While Felix had one arm wrapped around her lower back and the other on her shoulder, prepared to catch her fall no matter which way she'd gone, George swallowed hard. 
George, stop kissing Felix. You're under a spell. Bess screamed as she crashed through the front door. Felix jumped and let go of George instantly. Meanwhile, George was staring daggers at the back of Bess's head as she forced the front door shut as fast as she could. You're both under a... We are not under a spell and we weren't making out. What the hell are you doing? Bess's hands were already on one of the round tables closest to her, dragging it toward the door and readying it to make a barricade. It looked like you were making out to me and the rest of the town is currently under some sort of makeout related trance. You cannot blame me for assuming, Bess yelled immediately. George grabbed the other side of the table and started to pull it away from the door. Stop trying to block the door. I need to get outside so I can bring customers in, George said, somehow ignoring the makeout spell situation in lieu of the clause needs. They can make out in here and order some chowder. This is not that kind of spell, Bess hissed. I have made out with at least three people tonight and that is not the worst of it. So so if you can please take this seriously, seriously, I need to get you two back to Icarus Hall or at least out of town. Do either of you have noise-canceling headphones? While Bess explained, George stopped tugging and finally dropped the table as she nodded. George turned to look at Felix, who looked absolutely dumbstruck. This shit happens here. You get used to it. Uh, okay was all Felix managed. So what's the plan? George asked after a beat of awkward silence and Bess scrambled back to trying to barricade the door. It's the music. It's being blasted all over town. The louder it gets, the more intense and romantic and sexual people seem to get. And now it's trancing them with whatever partner they choose and starts pulling them toward the carnival. Law's up to something. It involves the entire bay. Bess said, worried, wrenching her words. Nancy went to Icarus Hall to do research, and we're supposed to meet her there, but the roads are congested by the entirety of the town. Eventually, the music started pushing past Main Street. The only way to avoid it is having noise-canceling headphones or being somewhere that the music is either proofed out or completely drowned out. And where are the others? Bess worried her lip. I honestly have no clue. That's step one. Great job, George. Immediately, she pulled out her phone, calling the first person in her favorites, Ace. So this isn't some live-action Scooby-Doo Halloween role-play? Felix asked as Bess continued to worry on her lip, phone on speaker, ringing into the dining room. George waved her hand at Bess, who immediately turned on her heel and walked toward the kitchen before the Claw's co-owner looked back at her supernaturally ignorant and too attractive employee. Horseshoe Bay is weird, like cool will. But in real life, and there's not always a human under the mask to yell about how they would have gotten away with it if not for Nancy Drew and half of the Claw's previous employees. It's weird, in mind-bending, and most of the time doesn't make any sense. Can you handle that? George asked, crossing her arms over, over her chest. She did not jut out her hip. It felt more like a power move to stand fully upright. Felix's eyebrows furrowed, and he took a deep breath as he stared at the round table in front of him. So deep it made his shoulders raise, and he held it for a moment, as if considering the tension in his chest in tandem with the information George had laid out in front of him. Can I get an example of the type of Coolsville bullshit you're talking about? Like, put it in a sentence style, Felix finally said, shifting to mirror George's stance, arms over a chest. It was her turn to take a deep breath. I've died twice, and once had my body taken over by a period piece French lady who best dated, and yes, that means making out with my body while I was literally just hanging out in the back room of my own mind, and almost died before we put our souls into crystals, put mine back into my body, and all of this was caused by a magical, magical shroud which looked like a giant fucking doily. Is that use it in a sentence enough for you? Felix's face barely changed as he listened to George's explanation and Bess's conversation with Ace occasionally wafting in between her words. He took another deep breath, this time lifting a hand up to rub against his chin, before nodding slowly. Okay, sounds cool. Sounds cool, Billy Ben, he said after a moment, snorting at his own bad joke. George stared, both eyebrows shooting back up in shock. That easy? I've 
heard weirder, he said after another pause, as though he was choosing his words carefully. George caught on, but said nothing, if only because she wasn't sure she needed her view of Felix tainted yet. For now, he was just a hot employee who seemed to be a little too good at making innuendos, whether or not he realized it. That was it. Oh, um, okay, came Bess's voice as she scurried out of the kitchen and back into the dining room. We might have a problem. What? George bit, though it was more of at the situation than at Bess herself. What else? Ace and Nancy are stuck at his place. She didn't make it anywhere close to Icarus Hall. Gil may or may not be trying to break down the door to his apartment as we speak, she said, her body tense as she spoke, hands flapping in the air with excess nervous energy. It's making people go crazy now, George barked, throwing her hands in the air. Great. Half the town's going to beat each other to a pulp, and then we won't have any customers for weeks. Love that it's the customer that's your biggest concern right now, Felix said, tone amused, as if he hadn't just been told his new home was a supernatural hellmouth adjacent hub. George shot him a glare, but the corner of her mouth lifted in a slight smirk. I am going to quickly disclaim before I get into this. Um, I'm about to be extremely uncomfortable. I'm already blushing. I do not write in the romance genre, not on purpose. And that's nothing against it. I lack the skill. This was difficult for me to do. Not because of the physically sluttiness, but the emotional sluttiness. So, okay, here we go. As soon as Ace's apartment door slammed shut behind them, the invisible grip around Nancy's heart relaxed and she breathed a sigh of relief, but it didn't last. Because apparently, in his haste to leave his place in time for trick-or-treating, Ace had left a window open. But Ace didn't seem to notice, not at first. He was still wearing his headphones as he threw every lock on the door, then added a chair wedged under the handle for good measure. Then he turned to find Nancy staring at him, a tiny flicker of fear, the first she'd seen in him since before when he'd been wildly wandering the street, apparently looking for her. Just like then, he locked it down quickly before she could figure out how to ask him about it. Locked. Everything she wanted was always locked, kept away from her. It was like a curse all by itself. Jaw tight, tiny muscles clenching, eyes tortured, lips pursed, hands fidgeting. Interesting. She'd always loved his hands, always noticed them. When he was working, washing dishes, typing, signing, they supported, they carried, they danced. And in another time, another reality, at this very same apartment, they'd done so much more. The memory crashed into her, swallowing her like a wave of vivid, electric, technicolor sensation. And she was lost. Ace, she sighed his name, stepping closer. I need you. Ace would never, ever hurt Nancy. But he could overpower her. In an emergency, luckily. Not that there was anything lucky about this situation. It was lucky for him that his mom had enrolled him in karate as a kid. Rusty but motivated, his hands flew to stop hers in their frantic questing, grazing, gripping, pulling at any part of him she could reach, as if she was drowning and he was her only shot at survival. But she could just as easily pull him under, and that he could not afford. Not with Gil right outside, threatening to beat down the door. Bang, bang, bang. Nancy, I know you're in there. Threatening yet desperate. The words were loud and near enough to penetrate Ace's headphones and rattle his patience. And yet, Nancy didn't seem to notice. She was too busy throwing her body against Ace's, pushing him back against the door, her hands tugging fruitlessly at his multi-layered clothes. 
He turned his head just in time to avoid the brush of her searching lips. Thank God, because at least one of them needed to hold on to their sanity. You better not be in there with him. Gil's next shout was punctuated by a fist against the door. Ace winced, pushing away and dragging Nancy with him as he tried to think of a new plan, a better plan than pulling her into the closet and locking them both inside. That was not sane. She went willingly nuzzling his neck, further trying his patience, especially when he realized she'd been whispering words against his skin the whole time. A steady stream of words he couldn't hear, couldn't afford to hear right now. On this front, Gil was actually being helpful. Bang, 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 bang. Come on, let me in. Bigger bang. If you don't, I'll kick this fucking door down, I swear. Good luck with that, Ace muttered as he continued gently manhandling a struggling Nancy toward the desk, the one next to his bed. But no, that wasn't relevant information. Don't worry, he told her as he fended off another attempted kiss, another close one. She was getting more brazen about it. The door is solid oak, and I switched out the jam screws as soon as I moved in. They're eight and a half inches. He can kick all he wants. At that, Nancy paused, pulling back to stare at him. Eight and a half inches? Isn't that overkill? Ace gave her his best, Nancy, please, face. She grinned back, and that's when he realized she was flirting with him. That settled it. He was definitely going to die today. Nancy rode the wave of emotions with an exhilaration that bordered on euphoria. Euphoria? Distantly, some part of her noted that this wasn't how she usually did business, behaved, or didn't behave. What was it George had called her the last time? Oh, Hansy Drew. But that was before the, oh, right, the wedding dress debacle. Humiliating. That had been a bad spell. This was, this had to be something else. It felt like, I'm finally free to do what I want, Ace what she always wanted to do when it came to him. Even as she spoke, her heart was pounding so hard, so loud it almost hurt. Bang, 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 bang. Open up, a strange distant voice insisted. I'm trying to, she replied frustrated, but Ace wasn't letting her. Why wasn't he letting her? Was he still afraid of what might happen? Or did he not want her to? Nancy hadn't allowed herself to feel this afraid or at least to acknowledge it in so long. Ace, please, you have to let me. She'd forgotten how lonely it felt, the need, the desperation, the longing. She needed to touch him, shake him, make sure he was real. She needed to hold him so he couldn't leave her like everyone else had done, like he'd done before another time. She couldn't lose him again. Ace's face was pained as he pulled at her, pushing her away at the same time. His hands loosened her fingers, carefully restrained her wrists over and over as many times as it took. No matter how much Nancy pleaded, it was like he didn't hear. No, wait, he couldn't. It was the headphones, she realized. They were the problem. They needed to go. As soon as he loosened his grip on her right hand, she reached for them. And this time, he wasn't fast enough to stop her. This was bad. This was dangerous. This was the opposite of sane. On some level, it was also kind of hilarious. Maybe they'll all laugh about it later, if they survive. But given how things were going so far, probably not. Because his last line of defense was slipping, and he didn't know what he would finally do when it failed him. Something drastic. Not bad, maybe. Not even wrong. But something unforgivable, nonetheless. Wedged between the window, the wall, his desk and his bed, which he refused to look at. Ace closed his eyes and braced himself for a total loss of sanity as she tugged at his headphones. He imagined what it would feel like to finally let go, to finally give in, to drop the mask and let her see it. 
everything. The broken, bleeding, bruised, starving creature that lived inside his chest. The wraith-like wisp of hope he'd wrangled into submission and locked away so many times, afraid to let it out or let it consume him with its constant demands. Want, need, have, keep. He shouldn't want her. He knew that. She wasn't his. She didn't need him, so he couldn't afford to need her. He couldn't have her, and cruel fate wouldn't let him keep her when the spell broke. Ace, please, you have to let me. As his armor slipped, he felt it rise. He heard it, but it wasn't new. It was the same sound, the same feeling he always had lately, thrumming through his bones whenever she was near. He didn't have to fight it. He was always pushing against it, so constantly that it felt like a whole new kind of gravity, or magnetism, that was more like it. She was his lodestone, his source, the sun he orbited. Wait, he opened his eyes, giving her a glimpse of his struggle. I'm not going anywhere. She froze. He turned his head, pressing his face into the palm of her hand until his lips brushed the warm metal of the clatter ring she wore. It gave him strength somehow, helped him think a bit more clearly. The rings, the curse, they still didn't know for sure. He couldn't act on this. So he'd have to speak up and hope that was enough. Nancy, listen, remember when I told you I had feelings for you? I said I'd had them for a while, but I didn't explain. You said you didn't know what to say, and that was my fault because I should have, I should have explained. I've gotten too good at masking it, at pretending I don't feel things because, well, you probably already guessed knowing what you know, but I pretend nothing bothers me because everything bothers me. Things I notice, things that don't make sense, like how you spent your whole life seeing people's secrets, saving them from themselves, and they only notice how brilliant you are when it's useful to them. The rest of the time, they keep you at a distance because they know you'll figure them out, and they'd rather keep pretending that they're what everyone else wants them to be, but not you, Nancy. You see people in all their complexity and you solve them, but nobody can solve you. That's what you think, that you're too complicated, too much, that it's too much effort to love you just the way you are without trying to change you or simplify you, control you, keep you safe. Bang, bang, bang. The pounding at the door was fading or Gil was getting weaker. Ace didn't care. He didn't matter now. Nothing else mattered but this. He had to tell her just once. Nancy Drew, nothing about you is simple or safe. You're a force of nature, like a storm that uncovers buried treasure and wrecked ships, but only if they're caught off guard. From the first second I met you, I've been tossed around, spinning. But before that, I was stuck. You saw me like nobody else ever has. You still see me. It's like you know without even having to ask. I'm getting better at navigating the world because of you. I'm stronger because of you. Better. You're not just the storm, Nancy. You're also the lighthouse, the guiding fucking light of my life. Nancy was too busy holding her breath to notice what his hands were doing. She didn't seem to hear Gil's desperate pounding or blustering at all, but she hung on Ace's every word. And when he finally stopped to claim a breath of his own, she leaned in, eyes fluttering shut, lips parted. And I know this is a bad time to say this, but I am in love with you. Nancy gasped in shock at his words. Or maybe it was the cold snicker of steel teeth clicking shut around her wrist. Confused, she reared back, tugging against the chain that now tethered her to the heavy steel leg of his desk. Seriously? Nancy sputtered, looking uncharacteristically verklempt. You handcuffed me? Ace couldn't help smiling at her indignation, eyes wide and face blushing, as she struggled to get free, to get closer, reaching for him as he retreated into the relative safety of the other side of the bed, even if it killed him to let her go, even if he'd seriously considered cuffing them together instead just a few seconds ago. This was for the best. Magic and first kisses did not mix well, not when it was Nancy. What they had together was too important to waste on a musical whim. Trust me, he said, taking another step back. I'm doing this for us.
I really thought you'd be flipping me off. Oh, here you go. Double finger. Here it is. Coming. I was doing a slow reveal right there. Slow. I had to Just two first. middle fingers slowly raising up into the frame. I considered it, but I, I, I almost did. And then I was like, oh no, I have Dude. to unmute this first so I can let her know Dude, how much I, I hate so her right much now. therapy. But writing the L word is harder Ouch. for me than writing any swear word imaginable. <laughs> no, I completely understand that. Completely <laughs> understand it. Holy shit, you're so mean. I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My my feelings, I have them and I hate it and I don't, I'm not comfortable with it. Um, let's just go to the final image because it's one page Perfect. and Perfect. then we'll end because image. you know I'm I've embarrassed myself enough for Wednesday. Okay. I, I just need to get into the law voice. <laughs> Let me call you sweetheart. Draga. That's what Esme had called him. He loved it, loved her until it damned him and the world along with him. Curse wasn't a strong enough word. Blessed him. Katara. La malediction. Fucking romantic bullshit. Alone in his caravan, lost, slumped forward in his chair, fingers steepled across the bridge of his nose as he fought to control the urge to smash everything around him. Unlike the music from the other cursed cylinders, love wasn't possible to block out. Not by any tangible means. Let me hear you whisper that you love me too. He muttered the long lost lyrics that had faded away with time and been replaced by more complicated expressions, metaphors, rhyming lies. Unlike the other cylinders, which had been allegedly blessed by Erato, one of the ancient Greek muses descended from the gods, this cylinder was also haunted, imbued with the broken spirits of a dozen lovers who'd lost their hearts. Better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, as the saying went. Another classic lie lost sought to dispel at any cost. Keep the love light glowing in your eyes so true. Unlike her sisters, Erato's domain of erotic lyricism wasn't limited by poetry or music. She was said to have the power of charm on sight. Or, as the modern expression put it, love at first sight. Sometimes less, but more often both. The most dangerous combination known to man. Law knew the feeling from personal experience. It was what had ruined him thoroughly and eternally. The ultimate irony, after all, that love had twisted him into this version of himself. Now, it would be his twisted version of love that brought Horseshoe Bay to its knees and allowed him the power to open the portal that would bring him closer to all that remained. Oblivion, euphoria, vindication, vengeance. All he had to do was grit his teeth, withstand the agony a little bit longer, and try for the hundred thousandth time to forget how it had felt to look into her eyes and be utterly lost.
and fade to black. That's such a good last line. Thank you. That's a. Mm. I love Law. I I'm kind of I sad that he has too. to die, but honestly, I'm also strongly thinking that maybe Carson should die instead. <laughs> I don't mind a death a death of Carson, <laughs> but you know that. I know. Well, death of death of a lawyer, death of an attorney. Death of a terrible yeah. attorney. Um, yeah, yeah, so this was very emotional for me. I don't know if you felt this way, but I feel like as I was writing these scenes, it was like grieving, you know, like a relationship that's about to end. I think you also wrote more intense scenes than I did this time. Um, mine were more chaos, I would say, than Which anything. Which is funny. We kind of so, switched places on this one, you know? Yeah, we did. Usually, you usually I like to bring the shit. angst. And yeah. I was honestly, I'm not gonna lie. I was gonna, I was trying to out angst you on this one because I was anticipating, I was anticipating so much angst that I was like, I'm gonna, Ray's gonna be so proud of me for how emotionally vulnerable I'm being. I am so proud of you. I'm just shocked that you like, you outdid my angst in like every direction. I had some very slight angsty moments building up, but yeah, like ultimately I did a lot of like the, just moving the plot along and getting people to where they needed to be, which is an important thing, you know? You, you know, you absolutely, that. and not only did you do that, but even, even with the, I think arguably your take on how George would behave is better than, is more George than mine, which oh. is why. I, Thank you. I was I basically to... pursuing a shameless ship agenda. You were actually writing like to the show, which is fair and That's, relevant. Yeah. And, and, and that is kind of what like my, my goal was admittedly, because George is, I feel like probably the easiest character for me to write, but also like because of that, George feels kind of like doing George scenes is in my head has kind of felt like a cop out because she seems she's very similar to the characters I already write. Um, so yeah. I will blatantly say that that was probably like just I don't have much of a ship agenda with George and Felix by any means. But oh, yeah. like, no, fun mine is more of a and... year of George agenda. Like George needs mm-hmm. to have she needs to fly her freak flag. She needs to, expl- you know, she needs to be she needs to have a hoe phase is what George needs. That's um, 100% agreed. An age appropriate ho phase we'll say but yeah. i also think that um like when you look at so we talked about this before when we were planning the episodes like an episode like this where we just like made a lot of messes for ships we we talked about before how it would absolutely demand another episode so we've talked about already how we we might be expanding some of these episodes and scenes on ao3 we're definitely yeah. going to be encouraging and inviting our fellow you know fanficers to like join in and fill in some gaps or even like take things and run with them um Seriously, go for very it big fan of that yeah and so if anyone wants to f-, f around with us and find out um how we would then deal with the fallout of what happened this episode <laughs> oh, that's that gonna be, be awesome. a hilarious discussion that we'll have for next time but I in the meantime do, that. do you want to do the d's again <laughs> absolutely I, not i really love it when you do the d's damn it, it brings me so much joy <laughs> uh it's just because my adhd gives me just like the perfect weird like disclaimer voice i need to go it's, ahead and move this all on the same page give me a hot second while we get to the d's on our on our miniature not really there script are you ready for the d's v Always. I am literally always ready for the D's. Okay. <laughs> Have to take a deep breath. Under Title 17, Section 107 of the United States Code Governing Copyright, Fair Use Allowances Made for Purposes Such as Criticism, Comment, Teaching, Scholarship, Education, and Research. In cases where feature AU feature AU fanfic written by us or with the permission from the authors, these will be for nonprofit, educational, and informational purposes only. That's the overall D for the AU City, but we'll include more detailed disclaimers as needed since the intention here is to critique and learn from IP together, not to appropriate it. Boom. 
Awesome. Woo! I always think of Josie and the Pussycats, like the like behind the music, you know, the oh subliminal God, yeah. when you would yeah. do the D's. It's great. Um, all right. So thanks again for joining us today, children. This has been AU City, a neurodivergent support group with a storytelling habit. And we're your co-hosts, Ray and Pete. Follow and rate us on your favorite podcast services and catchers, including but not limited to Apple, Google, Spotify, and Acast, which is where we are currently hosted. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Tumblr at AU City Podcast or on TikTok at Alternative Universe City on Alter- TikTok. Alternate, ah. just alternate ah. university. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't even say that right. <laughs> alternate Universe City. I always do that because there's too many V's in there's like, a lot. there's that's, only one V, but my V part's too many. <laughs> Excuse you. This Get rid is, of yourself. This, either. Listen, we started a shit show and we're ending a shit show. <laughs> That's true, actually. But it's yeah, our show. it's our shit show. If you, the listeners, want to become part of the shit show, send special requests or tell us how mad you are about our ship twists and angst to our email, which is aucitypod at gmail.com. None of those pesky V's to worry about. <laughs> so rude. As always, please remember to stay weird and remember to fuck around and find out with your art. V out. (laughs) Bye. Bye.